Hey, good morning. Good to see all of you. Did you notice Pastor Jun was reading the Bible slower, waiting for me to walk in? <laughs> I was on time. I just had a problem parking my car here. But uh, anyways, so good to worship with you all today. And um, nice, cool day we're having. Gives us an excuse to break out our jackets that we've bought and wear it for once. Um, today we're going to look at a, a story that we might know well, a man who was born blind and is healed. It's uh, an underdog story. It's a redemption story. It's a story that appeals to us, right? It's a story of the little guy being used by God to do big things. Um, it's an interesting story uh, back in almost, uh, almost this, to this date, 1992, there's a story of a, a cargo ship it was on its way from Hong Kong to U.S., and um, on its way in the Pacific, it ended up uh, getting in the storm, and three of its uh, containers that, you know, uh, fell off the ship, three of them broke open and fell off. Uh, what was interesting was the contents of the three uh, containers. It contained, they were delivering um, the rubber duckies, you know, the bath toys, and it was 29,000 rubber duckies that fell out of three containers into the Pacific Ocean. And so it's not so much that there was an accident or it was rubber duckies, but people started getting kind of curious. So people wanted to know, I wonder where the rubber ducky is going to end up. So uh, students and teachers were following it, trying to track it. The media was tracking it. Oh, there was a sighting of a rubber ducky, you know, here, a rubber ducky there. And then even scientists started following. They wanted to know what was going to happen to these ducks, where they're going to end up. While the rubber duckies make their trek, right, um, through the Pacific. And they go up north and they pass through now the... Uh, and if I'm wrong on the geography, you know, you could forgive me, right? But they pass through uh, Alaska, and they go through the Arctic, and then it's passing through all the way down past Greenland through the eastern part of the U.S. And then, over 15 years, these rubber duckies all started washing up in uh, Great Britain, right? They all started washing up. Um, it took 15 years, 17,000 miles. And one of the people that wrote about this said that uh, they arrived, faded, tattered from the sun, from the surf, from animal bites and barnacles on them, but they all arrived with a smiling face, right? They all made it. And I share that story because I thought it was interesting. Here is a picture that we have of this big, heavy, strong ship that can't make it, but a little resilient little rubber ducky makes its way around the world, travels, and arrives at the destination with a smile on its face. The picture of the little guy doing well. The picture of the one that we would not think is so strong doing well. And this is the economy of God. God uses the weak. He prefers the weak than the strong. Right? And this is the picture here of, of the man born blind. Um, that we, God uses someone like him. There's two parts to this. Uh, just the background part is, this is on a theological level. As we're going through John, and when you hear the word theological in church or in a, a seminary or scholar setting, it's the idea of a, a, a bird's eye view. Right? So what's the theology of 
for example, the Holy Spirit, then you look at all the verses in the Old and New Testament about the Holy Spirit, and you come up with some conclusions, right? Um, so theological, the bird's eye view of this, last chapter, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? He who walks, uh, you know, he who walks, um, doesn't follow me, will not walk uh, in darkness, right? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Um, so, John has the I am statements, and often it's coupled by, or it's followed by living examples. So, the bread that was fed, and then he, um, you know, he says he is the bread of life, right? And the water, the woman at the well gets the water, and then now he's the living water. And so there is this continual teaching that is paired up with a living example. And here we see the same thing. In chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world, and all of a sudden now he takes a blind man. And he gives him sight. He gives him light in his eyes. And he is used by God. What is he, you know, it tells us a few things, right? He's uh, born this way. He's blind. He receives his sight. And he goes to who? The Pharisees. And this is pointing to the spiritual blindness that they had. They spiritually couldn't understand God. They spiritually didn't know God. And so he is pointing out to them by using this visible, tangible reminder that this is them, this is you, you're the blind ones. That you ought to be seeing him, uh, seeing Jesus Christ as the manner of this man. And so there is this big theological perspective and he happens to dig in the dirt, he happens to make mud, he happens to do it on the Sabbath on purpose. And as he is doing this on the Sabbath, this happened and anything else, they still don't know. And you think about this, he's, he says those who don't follow him are walking in the dark. I don't know if you've, uh, had to do that, right? Uh, middle of the night, sometimes you have to go get a drink of water, or use the restroom, and you're fumbling around in your home. But usually you still have some kind of night lights or something to guide you along the way, and you make your way there safely. But imagine walking in darkness in an unfamiliar place. He says those who rely on themselves and their own righteousness are like those who are on a journey in the dark. It's like a blind person trying to find their way around without any markers. You can't get there. And this is a description of the self-righteous people, the Pharisees. They're relying on the system. They think the system is going to get them through. And they're trying to stay busy and do the things, but they don't know where they're going. And they're getting lost. He uses the blind person to describe this. Now, what we do see here, and what the second part I want to do is spend the rest of our time with this, to zoom in. I want us to think about this guy a little bit. I want us to sit where he's sitting, see uh, him in that place and be at that place. You think about this. Here is someone who has been suffering his whole life and Jesus comes to save him. And so we're zooming in at street level and we're going to look at this guy, the guy that, the person that God uses. Right? Uh, it's interesting, you know, if you're a Marvel comic fan or a movie fan, um, that, that's, you know, it's interesting. That's about the only movie my daughters will want to go watch as a family. So we watched it together. And I'm always asking questions. I'm like, uh, you know, who's that character again? And, you know, last time, like that, um, the, what was it, the, like the beaver or that talking animal came out. Like, who, who is this person? I didn't know who that, uh, you know, was it a villain? Um, yesterday at our volunteers conference, Pastor Sam was given a seminar. And then he was, in a positive way, I think, he referred to me as, uh, who's the bad guy? Now I forgot his name. Who's the bad guy in Avengers? Thanos. He goes, yeah, Pastor Steve is like Thanos. And then someone says, oh, that's the bad guy in the movie, right? He's the villain. It's like, oh, I meant like the, you know. And 
Um, and I thought he was a good guy too until someone pointed that out, right? But one of the things that Stanley does that's so important and that people say is genius is he brought um, a sense of weakness and humanity to these um, superheroes. They have insecurities, they have weaknesses, they have fears, fear of rejection. And now we gravitate towards them because somehow we relate. And this is the story of this man. That is what's happening here. First thing is that uh, we see is God doesn't waste our pains. All the experiences you've gone through, all the things that's happened to you, all the mistakes that you might have made, all the things that you want to erase if you could, God doesn't waste it. You look at what's happening here. Look at verse 2 and you see a whole description of this man. The pains that he has gone through. First of all, he's born blind. Secondly, he's assumed to be a sinner. Now, adding insult to injury. Here's someone who is dealing with some hardships in life. But now, people assume he's born a sinner. Look at verse 2. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? People in the day thought that someone who was born blind, it was because of some kind of bad karma. Boy, what they did something bad, so the kid was born this way. And some even had believed during those days that even the child in the womb must have sinned and done something bad. And is this what is going on here? It's interesting. It's assumed, right? You look at the question that the disciples asked, who sinned? It's not, did, did he sin? Did his parents sin? It's just assumed he sinned. Was it him or his parents? They're talking about him as if he was not there and they're in front of him. Who sinned? And so not only is he born this way, but now he has this guilt. I think he believed himself that he was a sinner. That he deserved this bad uh, fortune in his life. Also, he's described here in verse 8 as a beggar. When the neighbors call him and they're asked, uh, asking about him, they describe him this way. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, if you think about this, has zero power. Can you imagine life with no power? You can't make a decision for yourself. Someone else is going to make it. You can't decide when you want to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear. Someone else is going to make that for you. You have no power. He was a beggar. There's a relational brokenness as well, a relational pain. He's abandoned by his own parents. So he is now, he, when he receives a sight, he starts getting pulled around everywhere. The religious leaders want to talk to him. Who healed you? When did he heal you? What, what happened? Who is this Jesus? And then eventually they call his parents to be witnesses, and the parents now say, I'm not sure. They look at verse 21 of our text, uh, John chapter 9. But how now, uh, but how he now sees, we do not know. This is a parent saying, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. Um, it's not so much that the parents were empowering him because he's a grown up. Hey, ask him, no. Uh, John tells us in this little parenthesis right after, he gives a little commentary. Why do they do this? Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. The synagogue represented 
not just their religious life, but their social life, their business, their status in society. They couldn't have access to it anymore. And they said, we don't know. We can't vouch for him. So he is abandoned by his own parents as well. And I think about the pain that he has gone through. Uh, this morning I preached at our Brea church. Um, and I was uh, just looking around um, a little bit before I preached. And there were faces of people that I had been praying for them. You know, they had prayer requests. A lot of us here, a lot of you have prayer requests as well. Oh, man, there was a lot of people going through a lot of stuff, a lot of pain. No right answers from the doctors, no right answers from work. Um, you know, family issues are only getting worse. I mean, there was a lot of things happening. And the pains that we have, God wants to use. God wants to use it. God wants to use those things to do something great. And so let me encourage you to be strong, to not give up, to put your hope in God, to seize the moments, even it is painful. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He said this, When I understand that everything happens to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. So everything that happens to me, if God is using those things to make me more like him somehow, it resolves the anxiety. That means we can go through hardships and not worry. And that means we can go through uncertainties and not have anxiety. No, this is tough. I know this is the valley. This is not where I want to be. The sun does not shine in the valley. And I'm going through this now part of life. But it's okay. I don't miss so God uses our pains. And secondly, is God renews us and then uses us in this way. So he takes the things that have brought us pain. He now f- renews us through it. Uh, this whole renewal process, the healing process is seen here. Um, this is how he healed a man. He says, verse 6, Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. I was reading up on this again. Why did they use mud? Why did Jesus use mud? There's all sorts of answers to this. Some have said, well, there's a, some kind of a healing quality in mud, right? Some of you go to spas. Some of you ladies might go to spas and they... You know, for 200 bucks, they'll put dirt on you, right? And you say, oh, yeah, all right, think about it. Yeah, and then you take it off, it feels good. Yeah, it always feels good to take dirt off your body, all right? Um, so there's some of that. Some have said, oh, um, it's, there's some medicinal quality in saliva. Really? Nah, I mean, not really, right? I mean, when's the last time you were happy someone spit on you, even by accident, right? That's why this row is empty. This is a wet zone, right? Um, as we preach. Some have said, well, he had him go wash in this pool, in the pool with spring water. Maybe there's something valuable there, just water. What, this is what it is. Man is made from dirt. The creator who made man from dirt is present at that moment. And he uses the same ingredients of what he used to create Adam and Eve. And he says here, let me just renew these things in you. Let me recreate it in you. 
And so there is a creator aspect of Christ that we see that he is using dirt. Man is going to return to dirt. Man is made from dirt. And he says, I made you this way and I can now fix you in this way. Not only that, um, he uses his spit. I remember when I first read this, I used to think, boy, like it was almost like a, a face mask, right? It was like globs of it, you know, spit in the ground. I don't think it was that much. I think he picked up a little bit of dirt. I mean, he put a little spit, just a little bit. Just a little blemish almost, and he put it on his eyes. It's interesting because in Mark chapter um, 7, he uses his spit to heal the deaf. In Mark chapter 8, he uses his spit to heal the blind. It was, you know, that's what he was doing. I think another part of him using this mud is that, hey, something common as mud, something on the ground, dirty, that's here. If Jesus touches this, this on your body is now called anointing. It's anointed. So it's not so much the dirt or the mud or the concoction of it as Jesus being present. Jesus touching us in this way. And when he is touched, not only is his physical eyes open, but it is his heart, his spiritual eyes is open. Verse 36, he asks Jesus, he hasn't seen his face yet. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. It's interesting that the Pharisees in verse 40 ask this rhetorical question when they hear this discussion and they say, are we blind? They ask this question. Are we also blind that we don't see the Messiah? And this is what Jesus was pointing to. That their eyes were not open in this way. The last point is this. God uses the weak, right? This is a principle that we see in the Bible. Don't be so strong. Don't be so independent. Don't be so smart and wise in your own eyes that God can't use you. The writer of Proverbs reminds us to lean not on your own understanding. Today we are enamored with strength. We love hearing stories about someone young and who is strong. We take personality tests. What is a strength finder in your life? And we want to just accentuate the strengths. And I'm not saying we need to now ignore the strengths that everyone has. But in the economy of God, God uses the weak. And the weak he uses because they depend on him. And it is evident God is the person, the rich person, solving his own problems. And so let me encourage you today to acknowledge your weakness before God. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't impress people about things that you don't have. Things you wish you were, but you don't. Who we are, God accepts us as we are. It's interesting, right? Because he plans to use the weak. What does he do? He sends them to go uh, wash in the pool of Siloam. Right? Verse 7 says this. He said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And again, John gives us an explanation in the parentheses in verse 7. Which meant sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Matthew's gospel, for example, is written to the Jewish audience. They wouldn't explain this. You open Matthew's gospel, there's a whole history of the Old Testament. Who begat who and who begat who. And all the references to the Old Testament prophecies. John 
It's not, it's to the Gentile world out there. And so he explains these little things, little nuances. Siloam, he sent them to a specific pool, and the pool is called sent. This is going to define the rest of his life. He is going to be sent by God to be used in this way. Uh, the pool is interesting. It's in the city of Jerusalem, and you know, now they don't know where it's at exactly. Um, but back in the day, it was in the, in the city. And it was a literal pool. And so people would go swimming in it. Uh, people would use it to get drinking water from it. Uh, some would have uh, religious ceremonies there. But it was a very valuable resource. And this pool, Siloam, was made, uh, were built. They were afraid that when enemies attacked them, if they blocked off the entrance and the exit, they couldn't go get water. They would die of thirst. So Hezekiah ended up making a tunnel of water from the springs outside. And the water he tunneled underground, and it would now make the pool. And so there's so much there. There's the, the outside fresh water coming into the religious city, right? The outsider coming in and bringing fresh water. And this water was there. It was a, a washed, and he was able to see. He remembers the name of the pool where he received the sight, why he received the sight. He was going to be sent. He was going to be used. He was going to be sent to go and do God's work. What does he do? I mean, you look at this passage and he preaches. It's interesting. He preaches, not a sermon per se, but he shares his faith. All of us are called to share your faith. There are times you will share your faith with your children. You will share your faith with your friend, your neighbor. Hey, I'm a Christian. I know you're going through this. So I'll pray for you. This is what I believe. This is what I go through. I go to this church. You know, I'd love for you to come. We're Christians, and we have a set of beliefs. And we, we share our faith. He shares his faith in a very hostile environment. He is dragged around. The religious leaders want to hear from him. Uh, they drag him around. And they get witnesses, the neighbors and the parents. The Pharisees come, and they're like, who are you? Who is this Jesus? What happened? They want to know. And he keeps saying those famous words we sing all the time. In verse 25, talking about Jesus, he says, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Songs that we sing in that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And he keeps testifying over and over and all through chapter 9. He is sent to go and share. He is sent to go and worship. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is a, a neat part of the story. He hadn't seen Jesus' face. So he goes and he washes off the mud. He goes through all of this uh, ordeal with the people, questioning him and drink, bringing them around. And then finally Jesus meets him again. The voice sounds familiar. He's not sure. He's, are, you, are you the one? And when Jesus tells him he's the one, he says, I believe, and he worships him. And this is what we come here to do. We come here to worship. We are sent by God to do these things. And so let me encourage you. God uses the weak. God doesn't always use the strong. You know, and I have known people. Uh, I've known people. Man, I thought, boy, if that person, you know, 
if that person was doing this for God, boy, that, that, they're so strong. And I've had uh, friends and acquaintances, <clears throat> you know, when I was 21 years old, and I thought, boy, that person's charismatic, that person can talk, that person's good looking, he could sing. Boy, he can be used by God, and often it's the person God uses that we don't think is so impressive. The friends I thought, well, he can't sing, he can't speak. He's sure not worth looking at. I don't know what he's going to do, you know. And he's used by God. She's used by God. And I want to encourage you today. As you bring, as you come to this place, not just to bring your strengths, but you bring your weaknesses to him. Let him use you in a mighty way. And I close with the words of the famed missionary Hudson Taylor. He says this. God wants you to have something far better than riches and gold. And that is a helpless dependence on him. That's hard to believe, isn't it? Wants you to have something far better than riches or gold. What is it? A helpless dependence on him. My prayer for us. And I hope every morning you get up and say, God, I, I need you. Every hour I need you today, God, help me. God, you know my heart, help me, Lord, forgive me. And we would have prayers like that. God, use me if you could. And watch him use broken vessels, people like us, uh, to do something great for him. And so we, with that, this is the gospel that we rejoice in. Let me invite you to bow your heads for a moment and let's pray. So we thank you, Lord. Um, that you reach out to weak, broken individuals like this person.